Welcome to eBible Fellowship's Sunday Bible Study. For broadcast times in your area of these studies, visit our website at www.ebiblefellowship.com. And now it's time to begin our Sunday study with your speaker, Chris McCann. Hello and welcome to eBible Fellowship Sunday Afternoon Bible Study. Today is study number three of Daniel chapter three. And we're going to begin reading in Daniel 3, verse 4. Then a herald cried aloud, To you it is commanded, O people, nations, and languages, that at what time ye hear the sound of the cornet, flute, harp, sackbut, psaltery, dulcimer, and all kinds of music, ye fall down and worship the golden image that Nebuchadnezzar the king has set up. And... Whoso falleth not down and worshipeth, shall the same hour be cast into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. Therefore, at that time, when all the people heard the sound of the cornet, flute, harp, sackbut, psaltery, and all kinds of music, all the people, the nations, and the languages fell down and worshipped the golden image that Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. Wherefore, at that time, certain Chaldeans came near and accused the Jews. They spake and said to the king Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. Thou, O king, hast made a decree that every man that shall hear the sound of the cornet, flute, harp, sackbut, psaltery, and dulcimer, and all kinds of music, shall fall down and worship the golden image. And whoso falleth not down and worshipeth, that he should be cast into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. There are certain Jews whom thou hast set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, have not regarded thee. They serve not thy gods, nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar, in his rage and fury, commanded to bring Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. Then then they brought these men before the king. And I'll stop reading there. Now, um, in our last study, we saw that the references to the musical instruments um, that are mentioned four different times in in four different verses, verse 5 mentions them. And uh, it tells us there's a cornet, flute, harp, sackbut, psaltery, and dulcimer, six musical instruments. And we saw that in three of the verses, six musical instruments are listed. But in uh, one verse, the fourth time uh, the instruments are mentioned, there's only five. And we we also saw that that totals... 23 if if you count them out and some people you know they they don't like the idea of uh looking into the bible and assigning uh meaning to numbers of course we're not assigning the meaning god does as he uses a number again and again uh, like the number 40 and then as we notice how the number 40 is used in the wilderness, when Christ is tempted of the devil, we we see that uh, there is a, a definition forming 
God defines the number 40 through the way or by the way he uses it to identify with temptation and judgment or testing and judgment. And likewise with the number 10, the way it's used in the Bible, 10, 100, or 1,000, since it's used consistently in the Bible, um, multiples of 10 uh, do not change the meaning, the spiritual meaning or definition for the number 10, which is completeness. 10 virgins, 100 sheep, um, cattle upon 1,000 hills, Satan bound for a 1,000 years. We we look over these scriptures and we see a consistent teaching that gives the meaning. When we find the number 10, it points to completeness of whatever is in view. And likewise with the number 23. Number 23 identifies with judgment, especially the judgment of the Great Tribulation or the judgment upon the corporate church. And we see that with the 2300 evening mornings in uh, in the book of Daniel that we'll read later on. And we see it with the 23 kings of Israel. Then judgment comes upon them. 23 kings of Judah. Then judgment comes upon them. And, and many other times too, the number 23 appears and consistently points to God's judgment upon a rebellious people, his own rebellious people. And, and so, uh, given that the historical setting for the book of Daniel, which is the judgment upon Judah, a rebellious people, and, and therefore identifies with the great tribulation, a great tribulation that the biblical calendar of history um, locks into a 23-year period, then we can see that it's not a stretch, it's not going too far to count the instances that the musical instruments are mentioned, especially when God very purposefully fails to mention one instrument only one time and and giving us the number 23. It, it also reminds us of the historical judgment upon a rebellious uh, people of God, Israel, in the wilderness. When we read in, in Numbers chapter 25, in verse uh, 9, and those that died in the plague were twenty and four thousand. And then in the New Testament, when God is making reference to that judgment of that plague, it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, beginning in verse 7, Neither be idolaters, as were some of them, as it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Neither let us commit fornication, as some of them committed, and fell in one day three and twenty thousand. Now, there, there we have a very similar uh, situation as far as the numbers are concerned with what we're reading in Daniel. We we're we're reading six musical instruments in verse five, and therefore there were six, and 
We read again um, in in verse 10, six musical instruments. In verse 15, six musical instruments. But in verse 7, only five are listed. And and why didn't God just list six once again? And And to come to think of it, why did God list the musical instruments, uh, uh, itemize them, and list them out for us as he does so many different times? Wouldn't one time have been sufficient? Why four? And and uh, that, that's the first question. And then if he's going to list them four times, why not list them completely in all four instances? Why fail to list one, just one time? And, of course, the answer is to emphasize the number 23. And, and that's exactly why 23,000 died in the plague. Well, you know, there's many critics of the Word of God, many critics of the Bible, and they would jump on that. And and they jump on the seeming contradiction, the, the discrepancy. Numbers says 24,000 died in the plague. 1 Corinthians 10 tells us 23,000 died. You see... What uh, just a error, error-filled book the Bible is. It's full of mistakes, full of just just misstatements and and careless errors like that. How can you trust the Bible? How can you say the Bible is perfect? They like to say they, you know, man desperately wants to. Um, bring down the Bible, and they have gone over the Bible with a fine-tooth comb. You know, that's an expression, but it's very accurate, very apt when it comes to mankind's analysis, the, the way they have searched the Bible, not in a good way, but searched it for the purpose of finding error, of finding a mistake, because then they can make their accusation and 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 charge, and and then they can prove to themselves it's not the word of God because I found a mistake, and you know that's the nature of the world. That's the nature of all the books in the world. They have mistakes. They have failings and errors and. And and so if they can find a single mistake in the Bible, it would lower this holy Bible, this perfect book uh, that that comes from God supposedly in their eyes, and they they would lower it to the same level as all the other writings found in the world, just another writing of men similarly with error and and that's why they look they don't want the bible to be from god because the bible is is just too insistent upon them the the bible tells them things that they despise that they've been created and they're creatures and 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 if that's true then therefore 
they're subject to that creator and and that creator has um legally a, a say upon them it and and that means that they're obligated to obey him and yet they fail to do so and they're under his wrath and all the things the bible says about the wrath of god concerning um sinful mankind are upon them and and so they must bring down the bible and and what does it say that after centuries century after century after century of such a, a large number of people looking critically at the bible to find the slightest fault that they fail to do so oh yes they they say they found fault and and they would say this is one here is a mistake but one thing is absolutely sure that when a man when a person says i found a mistake in the bible i found an error in the holy bible that the error without fail in every case is with the reader of the bible and not with the bible itself it's never with the bible because the bible is indeed a holy bible it is pure and perfect inerrant there's no mistake anywhere in the original hebrew and greek it is truly the most glorious writing that mankind has ever encountered and he cannot actually find anything wrong with it but he thinks he does and and again whenever man comes upon an error and put that in quotes in the bible it's always an error within himself it's an error of um reading the bible superficially casually skimming the surface lazily it, it's an error where the individual has not dug in to the uh, whatever he's looking at uh in, in any kind of way and and searched it out and for instance in this case the the clue in numbers 25 verse 9 and those that died in the plague were 20 and 4000 and when we compare 1 Corinthians 10 and what it says in verse 8 neither let us commit fornication as some of them committed and fell in one day 3 and 20000 we see the 1 Corinthians 10:8 adds one day one day so in one day 23000 died that day passed and the second day came and more people continued to die from the plague 1000 more people died another day and and so god can rightly and properly say 24,000 people died in the plague that's a correct statement and he can say in one day 23,000 people died and that's a correct statement and, and and you see how god 
wrote the Bible in order to lay these kinds of traps for the natural-minded individual, for the proud and arrogant, for those that do not want to submit to the Word of God. They, again, are fault-finders and critics and judges of the Word of God. Oh, believe me, there's people out there that will um, go on and on and on judging God, judging the God of the Bible, judging the fact that he has commanded cities to be destroyed and whole populations within the city to uh, to be killed, and or he brought the flood upon the world, killing men, women, and children, and they dare criticize God as though they were God's judge, as though these puny, little, tiny, finite men were judges of the word of God. And they have it all backwards, all backwards. Man is not the judge of God. And man is not the judge of the word of God. But the Bible tells us in John 12, verse 48, He that rejecteth me and receiveth not my words hath one that judgeth him. The word that I have spoken, the same shall judge him in the last day. See, the Bible, the word, is the judge of mankind. Mankind is not the judge of the Bible. And, you know, um, people in the church who today, uh, this is what the Bible teaches, are overrun by natural-minded individuals. And and today it's uh, complete. Uh, Since God has separated the wheat from the tares, tares are the inhabitants of the world's churches, and tares have natural minds. They're people of the world. Basically, it's it's sort of like the Samaritans of old. Uh, When Israel was conquered, then the king of Assyria took people from other lands and placed them in in Samaria. And so Satan, when he conquered the church, he placed people from the world in the churches and congregations. And they, the, the church is the world. It's a province of the world. There's no difference, really, between the church and the world. And, and so the church is very concerned. They, they care. They, uh, they have one eye on the Bible and one eye on the world and, and they want to please both. But you cannot serve two masters. And really, they, uh, give a lot of weight to the opinion of people in the world, to the natural minded individual because they are alike. And so they, want to spend a lot of time considering all the critiques and, and 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 giving weight to these things and and really really um the the bible uh, is not interested god is not interested in man's judgment against him and his word uh, uh, god is the judge the bible is the judge of man 
And you see that this is just another aspect of the pride of man when he lifts himself up above the Bible. He's the one, he thinks, who's going to analyze, inspect the word of God from beginning to end. And, uh, you know, his nose is above the Bible uh, his chest is puffed out above the Bible, and he's looking down. Oh, look at this. Look what this God uh, of the Bible did here. And look what this God of the Bible did there. And and they're looking, uh, and, and they try to paint God as, as an evildoer, as someone who has done wrong because he has upheld his law, and remember, the law says the wages of sin is death. And the the Bible also, which is the law of God, tells us that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, that none are righteous, none are good, no, not one. And, and therefore, at any point, at any time, if God desired to take someone in death, if God desired to take all the people of Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities of the plain, whether man, woman, or child, if God took all the people of the world of Noah's day, or if God took all the people within the city Jericho except Rahab and her family, if God commanded the Israelites to slay all the inhabitants of the city, they thus became his instruments of judgment to execute wrath, and he did so justly, legally, because he is the judge, he is the God, his law has been broken, the penalty has been stipulated, the wages of sin is death. There is no wrongdoing in the slightest bit. God is most just he is the most high God. He is the, um, really, uh, how dare man, how dare man, what his, his rebellion knows no bounds. A dirty, rotten, filthy sinner, someone who has a desperately wicked heart, who is transgressing left and right in thought, word, and deed, uh, someone who has no ability to live holily or rightly or justly for a single day. And this kind of individual turns around and and approaches the Holy Bible, which is the holy law of God, and casts aspersions and judgments and, and makes accusations and charges against the holy God and his holy word and attempts to bring it down to the gutter where he is as though he were its judge. And it is completely uh, what you would expect from a criminal, from someone who has been condemned and sitting on death row and, and just is a complainer, just someone who has nothing better to do but but to spend his time while he waits final execution, uh, criticizing the judge that sentenced him, criticizing the law that was applied to him in condemning him, 
And it, and that's what man's criticisms of the Bible amount to, and no more of a condemned criminal speaking evil of the good and just judge and the good and just law that were used at his trial to bring condemnation and wrath upon him. It's not objective criticism. It's not honest criticism, but it's the criticism of one who has an axe to grind, to use that expression. He cannot be honest in his judgment against the judge and against the law because he's a criminal. He's a condemned criminal. And so when when people cast these things against God and, and the Word of God, they're they're very prejudiced. They're very prejudiced and, and they're not doing so in honesty in any way at all. Alright, let's go back to Daniel chapter three. And in Daniel three we have the musical instruments. As it says in verse 5, At what time ye hear the sound of the cornet, flute, harp, sackbut, psaltery, dulcimer, and all kinds of music, ye fall down and worship the golden image that Nebuchadnezzar the king has set up. Now the music, the musical instruments, are associated with the falling down in worship. It's at the time you hear them, when they play, that's when you receive the signal to fall down and to worship. And of course, falling down and worshiping is a religious activity, but so too are musical instruments. As uh, as far as they're discussed in the Bible, instruments that are identified with worship activity. In Second Chronicles chapter 5, it says in Second Chronicles 5, verse 13, It came even to pass, as the trumpeters and singers were as one, to make one sound to be heard in praising and thanking Jehovah. And when they lifted up their voice with the trumpets and cymbals and instruments of music, and praised Jehovah, saying, For he is good, for his mercy endureth forever that then the house was filled with a cloud, even the house of Jehovah. So here we see musical instruments are used to praise and thank Jehovah. And music is very um, central to worship. We we know that. Um, and, and that's why the church correctly uh, throughout history has... Um, had the congregation not only read from the Bible or hear the Bible read and not only uh, pray, but the congregation has worshipped God in song and through the playing of musical instruments, through an organ, a piano or other instruments, and the singing of hymns, the gathering of believers has worshipped God. And actually, the the word music, which is 2170 in the concordance, is related to the word praise, which is 2167. 
so it's very closely connected, music and praise. And uh, it's one of the reasons why Family Radio, when God was blessing Family Radio uh, greatly in the days leading up to May 21, was such a wonderful place for the child of God to go. They could hear the Bible read. They could hear the Bible faithfully taught by Mr. Camping. And they could hear God praised through faithful music. And, and of course, the music of God is like the Word of God. It, it, it is a particular music. You, you can't just play any music. You, you can no more uh, listen to any music or, or sing any music than, and praise God than you could um, have any doctrine. And, and believe any doctrine and, and praise God or worship God. No, God's doctrine is very specific, very definite. It, it's proven by the Bible itself it, as God uh, is the one who gives us doctrine and gives us the methodology for obtaining right doctrine of comparing scripture with scripture. And there, there is a right doctrine and there is much wrong doctrine. And wrong doctrine uses biblical terminology, biblical words. Wrong doctrine can speak much of Christ. It can talk about praising God and yet be of Satan because it's a lie. It It is deceitful. And likewise, there is right music and right lyrics or words and, and that glorify God in his kingdom, and there's much that is not right, that is wrong music, and does not glorify or praise God. Well, they might use words, they, they might use words of the Bible, and, and speak of Christ, and, and God, and other things found in the scripture, yet, just like doctrine, it has to be very carefully done. There, there must be um, a, a proper uh, way of coming to a doctrine, and there's a proper way of developing a, a hymn or a song or a psalm. It, it must be in accord with the kingdom of heaven. And, and that's why today, you know, Satan attacks music just like he'll attack doctrine. Uh, music praises God. And, and so we have, um, a, a wonderful faithful hymn that, um, is done in, uh, respect and, and shows honor and, and it is revering God and His Word. And then we have music coming along in our modern day where you, you have the words, but the music itself the beat, the way it's done, it's of the world. And, and it's trying to combine the two. Again, that verse, no man can serve two masters. And it, and the church, to say it once again, has had an eye on the world, lusts after the things of the world, desires the things of the world, and wants the world, but they don't want to give up 
um, the idea of entering heaven and eternal life and, you know, God blessing them. Uh, that's nice to have, too. So they merge the two. They merge the two with doctrine on occasion, and they have certainly merged the two with music. Let's take the rock music, or let's take the rap style of music, or let's take uh, um, even heavy metal today. It, 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 it's so ridiculous. Let's take all these things that that the world loves, and we really deep down love ourselves because we have that eye cast upon the world, and let's just put some uh, Bible lyrics to it, and we'll praise God. Well, that's not praising God. God is in praise when, when there is a divided heart, when, when two masters are attempted to be served. God isn't honored or glorified in any way because He is God, and He demands soul worship. He He demands um, that He alone be worshipped and no other. And, and certainly not the world, and the one who rules over the world uh, ought not uh, to have anything to do with being worshipped. It has to be exclusively worshipped to God, and music ought to um, be exclusively that which honors and glorifies and worships God and praises Him, the music of the kingdom of heaven, and have nothing to do with the music of the world. Nothing at all, especially today. Especially today, where the church has blurred all lines between themselves and the world. The people of God definitely want to establish those lines and make that distinction. We want nothing to do with that because... Who is being worshipped by that kind of music in the world? Is God being worshipped in any way? When there's a, a a song playing on the radio and he's not mentioned, and the the music makes us want to move our bodies, we 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 want to go along with the music, and so our feet tap or our arms are moving, and and so it's very attractive to the flesh to the physical body, to our members. But our body is unsaved. We don't have a resurrected spiritual body. We have a physical body, a body that lusts after sin. That's why the body enjoys the world's music. And when we listen to the music of the kingdom of heaven, it's very likely that the body is not all that pumped up about it, uh, to use that expression. It's not that excited about it because it, it's music that that brings about a mindset of um, worship and, and a, a mindset of concentrating on God and 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 it's soothing to the soul. And, and, you know, the flesh wants nothing to do with that, really. But the child of God brings the body under. We, we do not follow the body and go listen to the things our physical body wants. We bring the body under, and it comes under control, and it listens 
to the things the soul, the child of God, desires. And, and the two are contrary, the one to the other. Again, the merging that the church attempts is to satisfy both. But the child of God does not attempt to satisfy the lusts of the flesh. We don't want to please the body. We want to put it to death. We want to mortify our members. And there's no way that we're mortifying our members if we're um, feeding it through fleshly appetites for the things of the world, such as the world's music. Well, here in Daniel 3, the musical instruments, once they sound, once you hear these instruments, again, 23 times, so it identifies with the time of the Great Tribulation, the, the 23-year Great Tribulation. When, when you hear them, then you are to fall down and worship the golden image. And of course, uh, this is, uh, the golden image is of King Nebuchadnezzar, and King Nebuchadnezzar is a type of Satan. This whole historical event is pointing to the time when Satan is loosed. He's He's been bound for a thousand years, a figurative number, to represent the completeness of his binding, the entire church age. And, and now it's the year 1988, and he's loosed, and, and God has turned the rebellious church over into his hands. God has given them up. He has departed from them. The Holy Spirit comes out of the midst, and Satan takes his seat. It says in Isaiah 14, Isaiah 14, and this is the parable or the proverb against the king of Babylon. It says in verse 12, How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How art thou cut down to the ground, which didst weaken the nations? For thou hast said in thine heart, I will ascend into heaven, I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. His long desire from the very beginning in the garden when he deceived Eve and Adam to eat of the fruit of the forbidden tree and and in doing so, Adam and Eve served him through belief of the lie, rather than serving God through belief of the truth. And he became ruler over unsaved mankind. But God, even though Satan was ruling in the world, had a plan, and he worked it out uh, by establishing corporate bodies the, the world was in darkness, but God established Israel in the midst of the world. And, and that was according to his program of times and seasons and, and when he would bring forth certain fruit. And, and we don't want to get into all that right now. But then later God established the corporate church in the midst of the world. And that was 
um, again, during the period of Satan's binding, and and the church operated with the Lord Jesus Christ spirit in its midst, and Satan came against it, he persecuted it, he he sowed tears within it, uh, and and overcame individual denominations on occasion, individual churches on occasion, but he could not overcome the whole, and and so the church was like a light in a dark world, and that light shined throughout the church age, but then God came and brought judgment upon the churches and the congregations by taking away the light, the candlestick, Christ himself, and then Satan rushed in. He rushed in, he had been loosed, and he now could sit upon the mount of the congregation, or as it says in Second Thessalonians chapter 2, in verse 4, who opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called God, or that is worshipped, so that he as God sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. He takes his seat, and to, to take your seat is a, a figure of speech, which means to rule. He rules in the churches and congregations of the world, just like he was ruling in the world that surrounded the church, in, and he brought his darkness Wherever there's darkness, there you'll find Satan. He brought his darkness into the corporate body and, and ruled. And, and from that point on, when people went to church on Sunday, well, God wasn't there when they were falling down and worshiping. And who was there? Satan was there. The image of the beast was set up. It was established. The corporate church became that image that had life and had an ability to speak. And there he received worship. He received worship there also within churches of the world. Oftentimes they begin their service with a hymn. The music plays. And that's the signal to worship God. And from that point on in 1988, uh, throughout the entire 23 years of the Great Tribulation, it was Satan who was showing himself to be God, receiving worship, and not God himself, not in the churches and congregations. And this is what the Bible tells us in Revelation chapter 13 in a chapter where a beast comes up out of the sea, and that identifies with the loosing of Satan from the bottomless pit. And it says in verse 7, It was given unto him to make war with the saints and to overcome them. And you find the saints identify with the church. So the church was overcome, and power was given him over all kindreds and tongues and nations and all that dwell upon the earth shall worship him whose names are not written in the book of life of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. All that dwell upon the earth who are not written in the Lamb's book of life and therefore 
They were not predestinated to salvation. They are not God's elect. And that means they um, never became saved and never could become saved. Their sins were upon them. They, therefore, worship the beast. There's um, no way they could have not worshipped the beast because they were not God's chosen people. And notice that all that dwell upon the earth shall worship him, that's the beast, Satan, whose names are not written in the book. It does not say that those whose names are written in the book will worship him. It is only the ones whose names are not written in the book that worship him. And that's exactly what we see in the book of Daniel when all uh, the provinces, all, all the leaders, the sheriffs and the governors, and they're all brought uh, to this unveiling ceremony of the image King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. All are commanded to worship and all do worship except for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, three Jews, three young men that do not worship. They refuse to fall down and worship. And that's because they are God's people. Their names are recorded in the Lamb's Book of Life. And the the command, the call to worship, has no impact upon them. They will not bow the knee to this image. And, you know, uh, this is very upsetting to the king of Babylon. It's very disturbing to him. Notice when the report is made, when, when some Chaldeans accuse them and, and report on them, they, they tell that these men heard the music and they know about your command that at what time the music plays, you, you must fall down and worship. And then it says in verse 11, And whoso falleth not down and worshipeth, that he should be cast into the midst of a, of a burning fiery furnace. There are certain Jews whom thou hast set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, have not regarded thee. They serve not thy gods, nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. This is a grievous report the king hears. How can anyone in his kingdom, how can anyone under his rule, anyone dare to refuse to worship, especially when it has been made so clear that if you do not fall down in worship, you'll be thrown into a burning, fiery furnace. I mean, just think of that string of words uh, all attached to one another. Burning, fiery furnace. It, it was a threat that was as clear as possibly could be clear that you will be burned up and destroyed and killed. And 
it was a horrible death that was threatened and and certainly they knew with this evil king with this ruthless king Nebuchadnezzar that if he said he would throw you into a burning fiery furnace that's exactly what he would do there was no doubt about it and king Nebuchadnezzar was a fearsome king fierce and fearsome people were afraid of him uh, he he was a king who who would tell people he would cut them into pieces and and that wouldn't be the end of it then he would take their houses and make them a dunghill that that that's how cruel he was and he was certainly not someone to be uh denied he he was not a king to be refused he he was extremely proud and extremely fast to execute someone if he were not pleased with them. And so it says in verse 13, the Nebuchadnezzar in his rage and fury commanded to bring Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Then they brought these men before the king. His rage and fury and Somewhere nearby, there was a burning, fiery furnace. Was there any doubt what he would do? Was was there any question at all? No, everyone understood. And yet, despite, despite this fierce king and the threat of horrible death, there were three young men who refused to bow down in worship to obey King Nebuchadnezzar. And, and so he was furious. He was in a rage. And this identifies, remember, Nebuchadnezzar is a type and figure of Satan. And he's been loose. Satan has been loosed. He's entered into the churches and congregations. He's taken his seat and is acting like he's God. He's showing himself that he is God. And and he wants to be worshipped like God. And he also, like God, has pronounced a judgment upon anyone. Anyone that does not submit. Anyone that does not fall down in worship will be destroyed in a burning, fiery furnace. Now, doesn't that sound like God? Like the God of the Bible and the things we read about in the Bible. For those that disobey God and disobey the law of God, really, uh, it's through obedience to the law of God that that one falls down and worships him. And... And if one fails to worship God by uh, keeping his law perfectly, the law of God uh, decrees that you will die. And the Bible speaks of being burned up. Um, the, the Bible speaks of a furnace. It says in Matthew chapter 13, in verse 42, and shall cast them into a furnace of fire, there shall be wailing and gnashing of teeth. And in verse 50, 
and shall cast them into the furnace of fire, there shall be wailing and gnashing of teeth. That's the righteous judgment of God, to cast sinners into a furnace of fire. Well, Satan, the the evil one, wants to be God. And if you're going to be God, you have to um, have condemnation and judgment, and you have to have a burning, fiery furnace to cast people into. And so he does. Uh, he has this furnace burning, and you better obey me, he says to all the people under his rule in all Babylon, and Babylon represents the world, the entire world. That's what Revelation thirteen eight told us. All that dwell upon the earth shall worship him, whose names are not written in the Lamb's book of life. And if you do not worship and you dwell on the earth, you will be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. It is really the threat. And and Nebuchadnezzar's rage is a picture of the wrath of a god. God is full of wrath, we read in the Bible, upon those that disobey him. The wrath of God is on the sinner. And so is the wrath or the rage of King Nebuchadnezzar on those that refuse to bow down and worship to the image that he set up. After all, he's showing himself that he is God And it's as though these three are disobeying God in his eyes that, and, and, and therefore they must face the judgment. You know, it's similar in some ways to the book of Esther's account of Haman. Remember when King Ahasuerus lifted Haman up and promoted him? It says in Esther chapter 3, verse 1. After these things did King Ahasuerus promote Haman, the son of Hamadatha, the Agagite, and advanced him and set his seat above the princes that were with him. That's really spiritually identified with the loosing of Satan and his taking his seat in the temple, showing himself that he is God. And it says in verse 2, And all the king's servants... They were in the king's gate, bowed and reverenced Haman. That is, they fell down. They worshipped. It is really what's in view spiritually. That all the king's servants that were in the king's gate bowed and reverenced Haman, for the king had so commanded concerning him. And you know, it is by God's commandment that Satan was loosed to overcome the church, and that all that are not written in the Lamb's Book of Life, do homage to him. And and so the king, for the king has so commanded concerning him, but Mordecai bowed not, nor did him reverence. Then the king's servants, which were in the king's gate, said unto Mordecai, Why transgressest thou the king's commandment? Now it came to pass, when they spake daily unto him, and he hearkened not unto them, that they told Haman, just like the Chaldeans came to King Nebuchadnezzar and accused the Jews. 
They do not fall down and worship, nor serve the image you set up. And, and so they they told Haman to see whether Mordecai's matters would stand, for he had told them that he was a Jew. And when Haman saw that Mordecai bowed not, nor did him reverence, then was Haman full of wrath. And remember, Haman, he is said to be the adversary in the book of Esther, and 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 he's a type of Satan as much as King Nebuchadnezzar is a type of Satan. He wants to be worshipped. He wants to be bowed down to. And when someone refuses like Mordecai, he's full of wrath like King Nebuchadnezzar was in a rage. And then it says in verse 6, And he thought scorn to lay hands on Mordecai alone, for they had showed him the people of Mordecai, wherefore Haman sought to destroy all the Jews that were throughout the whole kingdom of Ahasuerus, even the people of Mordecai. The, the same thing. You refuse to bow down, Mordecai, therefore I'm going to kill you and all your people. And Mordecai is a picture of Christ, and and all the people will be like the body of Christ. And what we have with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego is the body of Christ refusing to bow down, just as Satan, when he tempted Jesus in the wilderness, wanted Jesus to bow down to him. This is Satan's desire, and if he doesn't get it, he will kill the one that refuses. Thanks for joining us for eBible Fellowship Sunday Bible Study. For more information or to hear additional Bible studies, be sure to visit our website at www.ebiblefellowship.com.